Yep. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 194. We're going to be interviewing Dusty. How you doing, Dusty? Not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Ready to do this, buddy? You bet. All right, let's dive in here. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Childhood, nothing out of the ordinary. Great parents, you know, family dinners, you know, Sunday church. I mean, it was just like textbook perfect, kind of. Yeah. I would say. So, yeah, that's a good thing that you um, you had good parents. It's very rare for me to hear that. Very rare. And that's why I don't know my excuse. You know what I mean? Well, but, no, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily an excuse we come up with. I think it's kind of like, I think it's nature and nurture. I think you're kind of born a certain way. And the people around you kind of bring that out a little more or a little less. I think the smarter you get, the smarter you are, the border you get. Oh, this is true. Yeah, you get bored pretty quickly when you're a smart guy. They've done studies about that. They've also done studies. um, I heard a study that people that curse more are actually uh, nine times out of ten are more intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, so I say it's good that I swear a lot, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So um, how was your social life growing up? you have a lot of friends? Yeah, I was a jock, big into wrestling. I mean, football, baseball, track, everything. You know, all the sports you can – coming into my freshman year, I was in everything. So how was life like with your friends? Did you guys – what were you guys do for fun stuff growing up? Um, we would stay over to his house after wrestling tournaments. My family was big into wrestling, and their families were big into wrestling, so we were together every weekend. So we would go there and watch our tapes of our matches that we, you know, wrestled earlier in the day. And mom and dad would be upstairs having a couple beers, and we'd eat, and it was fun. We'd go around knocking on people's w- windows and doors and scare them. <laughs> Miss you. Yeah. So you would watch the tape of the wrestling. Was that to help you practice better for next time around? Yeah, that's so you didn't get beat. <laughs> yeah, kind of like what they do in football. Right, yeah. Watch film on it. And now yeah, anymore, everybody watches film on everything, so you can't really get away with much. Oh, no. Getting away with something nowadays is not too impossible nowadays. Yeah. Got cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're from uh, what part of Iowa? Northeast Iowa, way up in the corner. I'm like five miles from Minnesota. Okay. So are you, um, is it more like, a, what do you call it, a smaller area up there? Like how many people were? Yeah, your... like, you know, maybe 6,000 people in our town. Okay, that's fairly small. Yeah, it's it's really small. Everybody knows everybody, which is a problem, you know, when you get into being an addict in that world. I mean, you get judged by everybody in town, not just a couple, you know. But so that that was one of your major issues you faced when you got sober is the stigma. Well, yeah, trying to recreate relationships that were broken and it just doesn't work. The Crestwood type of town that were once you're known as something, that's how you stay. I mean, it doesn't matter. They'll hold you right to that no matter what. And I guess it is the downfall of small town. Oh, I mean, terrible. have you ever tried to talk to these people that look at you differently? Um, I've talked to the ones that I give a shit about, you know, the ones that, that don't matter to me that are talking about me. I don't really care. You know, we can't worry about all that stuff. No, you're 100% right. If we, if we cared about what everybody else saw, I think we'd drive ourselves insane. 
Yeah. I think that was one of my issues growing up was my dad, he cared a lot what other people thought. My, I don't necessarily know, think that my dad cared a lot what other people thought, but he wanted me good in sports. And I mean, there was nights where we were making weight for the next morning, running to five miles down the road in the middle of winter and dad followed me with the truck to cut weight. So he was into it. I mean, we were into it serious. I went like wrestled over 365 matches as a youth wrestler. Wow. What what is an average person wrestle? I suppose, you know, you get five, even 10 tournaments a month, three matches. That's 30. I wrestled 365. Exactly. That's insane. Yeah. It was crazy, we, we, but that's what we did. My buddies, we jump in my dad's van, like a caravan, and uh, take off, and he'd fill it up. Most of the time, the kids wouldn't even have money. Dad would just pay for them their entry fee into the tournament. We'd take six or eight kids everywhere we went. It was fun. I mean, we as a kid, it was fun. the way. Well, we, like you said, it sounds like you had a good dad. Yeah, I do. Yeah, my dad, he was the opposite. He wasn't into sports or – couldn't really care less about if I did good or not. Yeah, I think my dad cared a little bit too much of how I did. He wouldn't talk to me for a couple days after if I lose a match. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I, no didn't, I didn't lose very much at all. That's no good. No, it wasn't. It didn't do any good for me. I know that. But I, you know, I had a lot of potential. I mean, I was good, really good. So did then you make I, your way into college? I coached for 16 years, youth wrestling. Okay, that's a good way to give back. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. I took 32 kids to Iowa State Tournament, played 17 of them. That's pretty good. That's really, really good. Yeah. Sounds like you're passionate about wrestling. Yeah, I am. It's a lot of work, you know, and it's a lot of work for the kids. You got to be dedicated. If you're not dedicated, you ain't going to go nowhere. These kids are wrestling you know, five nights a week at their school. And then after they go down with their school workout, they're going to work out again with the elite program, you know. And they have to do their schoolwork. Yeah, that's what you got to do to be good in sports. You know, it's so cutthroat up here. You got to work hard or else you ain't going to get anywhere. Which, that's good. Teach you worth ethic. But at the same time, it's kind of, you know, grueling when these seniors are not making varsity their whole all four years. You know, our lineups are so tough that it's hard to even make varsity. I mean, I guess it's good. It gives you a little character, but you also don't want to put too much pressure on the kids. Yeah, I think I had a little bit too much pressure because it got to me, and it should have never got to me. You know, because yeah, at the end of the day, it's a game. Yeah, the match. They want to win, and if you don't win, it teaches you how to be a fair, you know, a fair sportsman. You know, if you can have a good attitude when you lose, you learn so much. But if you have a throw a headgear at you and take off running, you know how most kids did in their youth wrestling days. You know, you don't learn nothing, and it does no good for anybody. Yeah, I mean, at least it teaches you to try and fail. Yeah. Because in life, you're never going to succeed in everything. you got to learn how to fail and pick yourself back up. Yep, I have I learned that's that. that's what sports do. <laughs> you learned that, you said? Oh, my God, tenfold. I don't know, yeah. So how did you actually do in school? Did you get grades? Well, not so much, but when I was uh, 17 years old, I was a, been a junior, I got sent to Montana to Spring Creek Lodge. I don't know if you ever heard of it, no. but it's like, it's like a boy's home. It's up in the mountains. I mean, you can run away from there and try to run away if you want, but the 
Cougars and Mountain Lions Leah. Oh, I mean, it's that kind of place. And it was, that was, I was 17 and my mind was not mature. Like I thought it was, you know, so when I went to this program and there's like three different seminars, you have to do a discovery focus and accountability. I mean, the first, the last seminar, we were at 72 hours straight and they break you, they get you to break mentally and physically until you freak out, which, you know, I made it 24 hours before they got me to break. But when I broke, I broke a couple of just the staff's noses. Ex- and Explain to me what you mean by you broke. They will say the worst things you could ever hear in your ear repetitively. Like so mad means- you cannot hear yourself when you flip out. You know, they do but- that mentally break you. And it's it's a lot. And I mean, it, you know, when you get out of there, you feel like you're Superman, though. I mean, it was that good of a experience, but in the same sense as do I, I don't know if I need to experience it quite so young. You know, I don't, it was hard on me, a lot harder than I thought. Yeah, it sounds like boot camp. It was, yeah, boot camp. But yeah, so I wasn't getting very good grades. And then I ended up taking all four years of my, all three years of high school over again and graduated with a 3.8. So you had to do high school twice? Well, I they let me do my freshman and sophomore year over because I was at that program. So, yeah, so I ended up graduating with 3.8, but I had to retake it all. At least you graduated and at least you got a good – that's a very good GPA. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really – I mean, I, I drank a little – I drank in high school, but I didn't do any kind of drugs whatsoever. Remember the first time I smoked pot, my, my buddy was a senior in the wrestling team and he grabbed, he come over from where he was at and threw me up against the wall. No toe, no toes touching the ground, choking me because I smoked a one hitter, you know, it's crazy, but that's how it was back in the day when we were. Who started choking you again? Oh, um, my buddy for, for doing what? it, you know, for smoking. For smoke. Yeah. Well, he was, he, th- he didn't want you to smoke. No. Okay. No, no. And then he had. How do you, yeah, he ended up ODN seven years ago. Um, like my, um, um, I couldn't even really tell you to be honest, but I know what happened. His uh girlfriend, you know, he was crazy. He was an MMA fighter. He was undefeated. He's six and one down in Des Moines. They had these big MMA fights, and he would or uh MCC fights. He's online. You can look him up. But yeah, he uh. They hot shotted him with a bunch of prescription drugs and some meth and some some else, and his girlfriend did it right when he got out of rehab. So, yeah, he died. We're supposed to go hunting, take our kids hunting, youth hunting the next day. He said he's gonna be back at one o'clock, so we go set a stand and never showed up, and never never seen him again. It's a shame. Yeah, it is. He's a great guy. I mean, great coach. Wrestled for Iowa. You know, it was like uh, had everything at his palm that he ever wanted and couldn't handle it. Couldn't beat himself. And addiction kills, man. We mess up once, we're dead. <clears throat> yeah. So, real quick, when was the first time you ever used anything? Alcohol, um, drugs? I was a junior in high school and I smoked with that one hitter a pot. Oh, that was the first time you ever tried first, I didn't. I was just a drinker before that. Oh, so you tried drinking before that? Yeah, I was drinking. As what, a freshman. Age, what age did you first start drinking? As a, like, freshman. I was always hanging out with my wrestling buddies, which were all older than me. They're all seniors when I was a freshman, so that's kind of who I hung out with. 
not very good influences when you're 17 years old. No. <laughs> but everybody has fun. I mean, everybody parties in high school. You just got to keep it under control. And my parents obviously thought I wasn't going to be able to because they sent me to Montana. But after that, you know, I, I graduated high school. And then, you know, when I got back, I graduated. I actually was going to wrestle. And I was ranked really high in the that messing with your screen. Um, I was ranked really high in the, the state rankings. And I beat the number one kid from down Bosco week before in Cresco. I pinned him. He was beating me like eight to nothing. I ended up pinning him. And we ended up winning the duel. It was huge. Anyway, um, he I wrestled him again in Oatana. And he double chicken winged me and ran both my shoulders right over. Both my elbows right over my shoulders. Dislocated both of them at the same time. Ooh, that sounds rough. Yeah, he got he got disqualified because he stood up and run my arms over my head, but I was dead and both dislocated, so I was done for the year. So then after that, I kind of strayed away, and that's when I started drugging. So what was the besides marijuana? What was the first drug you did? Um, coke. Who introduced you to it? Um, one of my friends in in town in Cresco. His yeah. brother was older. His brother was like. 21 when we were 16 and he had dabbled into it so then we went over his brothers and the first time I did I remember doing it first time how did awesome. it feel the euphoric it was I mean it was great you sit there and talk for three hours and you know we didn't leave in our apartment there's like six of us we just all sat there and talked it was kind of it's kind of right you know it wasn't nothing bad about it we didn't go and do something stupid Yeah, I find drugs, so they usually don't lead you to do anything stupid. Um, I think that's alcohol, usually. I'm not sure why that yeah. is. Yeah, alcohol, yeah, I used to get in a lot of fights and drinking. Yeah, I've oh. never seen someone get angry on drugs. My right. personal experience, I'm sure it's happened. Yeah. It, everything's happened. happened once. I never, I was really <clears throat> If I wasn't, I'm ADD, you know, I talk a lot, and that's when my parents can tell when I was high is when I just wouldn't talk. I never really, I mean, that was all after I graduated high school until I got into anything like that. And the coke led, uh, he was, I guess his girlfriend was cooking meth. So the lot, next time we went over to over there to do coke, we ended up doing meth because of that. Did you so like that was meth? Yeah, it was coke, but it lasted longer. That's how it feels, coke, but lasts longer? I think so, yeah. Cheaper, too. Yeah, I've never done it. Oh, good. Don't ever. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. It's not on my bucket list. <laughs> That's good. Because I would Wait. probably love it because I love um, Adderall. Oh yeah. And the only difference is is Adderall's a methamphetamine, and crystal meth is a is an amphetamine. Right. So the but difference is is the methyl. There's meth. I forget. Or am I reversing it? Well, nonetheless, one has has methyl in it, and that's the only thing that makes it different. Is that compound? Yeah, and it and it's that feeling never goes away. You know that you're chasing that. So until I was, tw- you know, I I did meth probably from when I graduated till I was 21. I worked at a factory, a third shift, making like 40 bucks an hour. So I was making tons of money, which didn't help at all. But yeah, see, so see, see, now you go. It was third shift, so 
I was up all night there and get off at seven in the morning and yeah, it just kind of fit in well. Were you using drugs while on the job? Yeah, but that that job, yeah. And we would, yeah. There's other three other guys that were on that ship that would do that were doing it, and then I just added, I just went and started doing it with them guys when I got on third shift. So it wasn't a very good idea. What kind yeah. of stuff were you doing in the factory? Was it dangerous to be high? No, we just either snort a line or smoke some on break. You know, we never knew it in while we're working, but okay on break. So at what point did it get bad? I would say at twenty when I turned twenty one, that was the worst. I remember instead of going to the bar and hanging out with my buddies, I was at a house smoking tinfoil, you know what I mean? And that was my birthday. And that's when, yeah, then got introduced the needle and all that good shit. Oh no. And it was anhydrous ammonia math, so it was the best, the best. You know, it was really good. I mean, really bad, but really good. No, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. So, yeah, and before that, though, the original how this all start, how it all started, how I even got an inkering for it, is because I was at SMI building pallets, a pallet factory, you know, and these pallets weigh eighty, hundred pounds, and you're going through, you're building like three, four, five hundred of them a day, you know, and your body just takes a toll. And I put my back out really bad, and I went to the hospital, and they gave me a hundred hydrocodone well i would just give him to my buddy todd i just give him to him because i didn't like him well i remember the first day i took one i was at noon and my back hurt really bad and i took a half of a five one half of a floor tab a five five hundred and i built like 460 some pallets in the you know from noon till 330 making like 65 bucks an hour so that was my yeah, and so I decided to take one of my own pills. Was that that led to one half one every every noon until it was one, then it was two, and you know how that goes. Before you know it, I was if I didn't have fifty of them, I wasn't going anywhere. On vacation, nothing. It kind of rules your life for a while. Yeah, which is stupid, but yeah, we do stupid shit. <laughs> I wish I'd never took that half one. Should just kept on giving them to my buddy. I always, I always made fun of him. I'm like, oh, you'll never see me doing that. You know, getting addicted to pills. There's no way. But it was, I went to that for three years and then I quit everything myself. And then I ended up getting beat up in Des Moines. I don't know if you looked that up or not. By two cops, really bad. Why? What happened? What'd you do that they arrested you? We were at state wrestling and my nephew was wrestling. And uh, after the session, we went, we're going to go up to the bait shop and have a beer at the bar. It was like already quarter to one, you know, it was already almost closing time for the bars in Des Moines. So we went down there. We had like two beers, I think, maybe. And we were walking back because you had to walk across, basically across town to go to this cab stand where everybody met there. And the cabs would pick you up at bar time to take you home. So it wasn't uh, clustered downtown. So we were walking up to this cab or this taxi cab stand. And this girl come flying out of the crowd with a guy behind her, you know. And he took her to the ground, put his knee in the back of her head, and he was pulling out her hair. And she's bawling. She's screaming hysterically, crying, stop, you're hurting me, all this other crap. And I just asked him, I said, what are you doing? It's a girl. I mean, you're a guy. What are you doing? Well, he turned around and maced me. And then the other cop that was working with him maced me. And they both just beat the living holy hell out of me. That's crazy. Oh, it was bad, yeah. If you, if you get time, look up City Des Moines versus Dusty Burnicle. 
you'll see it. It's got all kinds of basically interviews on it. I finally got that. Finally got that cop fired last April. It took yeah. me that long to get fired, and I took you know three quarters of a million dollars from the city of Des Moines. Good lawsuit because we made it, it went federal. I mean, it was it was the only uh, excessive force case that's ever went federal ever. I'll definitely look that up. Yeah, you'll see it. And now they refer to my case. It tells you how many times that they've referred to your case, and it's like two twenty five hundred, three thousand already. They've used about you know Bernicle versus the city of Des Moines as an example how they do in court. You know, lawyers go. Yeah, like oppressive. Yeah, but I mean, it's down there. It's bad. They're the cops just don't care. They think they're above everybody else, and they go down there to kick somebody's ass and get some tension out, and it just happened to be me. You know, and I couldn't fight back. I knew after they told me it threw me on the ground and were kicking me and stuff that they were cops because they said, Des Moines Police Department, stop resisting. I said, stop hitting me in the face, and I'll give you my hands. Until then, I'm not giving you my hands. That hurts. And then they kicked me, and then they, one of the guys, one of the cops from behind me kicked, kicked me between the legs, and I bellied out. I was done after that. Shit heads. Cracked my eye socket, broke some ribs, messed up my knee, my back, my hip. It was yeah, I went I was in the hospital for a couple days. Shitheads. Like I said, that's all I could say. We're a bunch of shitheads. You know, there's there's good cops, don't get me wrong. There is, but there's some nasty people that do not oh, need yeah. that. It's like anything. After he beat me up, he did it to an eighteen year old girl, a seventeen year old girl. Because there was supposed to be a, a school fight, a gang fight or something like that, or a school fight. And this girl ended up getting lippy, and he, she, he did the same thing with her. Grabbed right by the back of the ponytail and slammed her on the ground. Cost him more another 70 grand. After that, after mine was like 996000 or something like that. It was bad. And he's, he was still a cop after that. I'm like, what the heck, you guys? But, yeah, this, there's these old ladies, and they were fighting like crazy getting fired, and they finally got her done. Leave it to old ladies. They'll go get it done if you need it done. Well, I'm happy for you that you got everything handled the right way. Yeah, I. It was a grueling couple weeks. I have to say that not very much fun. Yeah, because we were in we were in jury trial, so there we had like a seven day. We had court scheduled for fourteen days. Seven days, we had to, we were in the middle of it, and we decided whether we were going to go on to the second flight or not. And it was Thanksgiving, and as soon as the judge said that, okay, now we're going to the second flight of this trial, the whole all the jury's like, oh my god, it was it was Thanksgiving the next day. So the district attorney came up with a number, and if we would have kept on going, we'd have took them for you know a lot double what I got. But it was Thanksgiving, and I was like, I don't want everybody to be away from their families, and that was just stupid. That'd be greedy on my part. So. I just took it and settled and got out of there. Sent everybody home. But the lawyers were off the grid. He had four of them. So let me ask you this. At what point in your life did you realize you had a drug problem? <laughs> well, I would say it was after, of course, all the Des Moines stuff. When that was five years, I went through eating more painkillers than I was on before that. I was like at 450 hydros and 60 oxys and 200 tramadol a week or a month. That's what I was prescribed after they beat me up. You know, I was all beat up pretty bad. But and then after that, when I went, I went in there to take a drug test for him, and I didn't have anything in my system because I had quit 
10 days before that, before I went on the doctor, and it was the worst. You know, I don't know if you ever withdraw from pills, but it's the worst withdrawal. It's, I mean, it hurts everywhere. Everything sucks bad. And I had that for 10 days. And, you know, day three and four is where you really start wondering if you're going to make it through it, you know? Yeah. No, I've been through pain killer withdrawal. Well, that sucks, doesn't it? And, I mean, the way you ache and the way it hurts, the chemist that's sitting in there designing that should be strangled. Yeah. I mean, even right. I remember when we took Arvisets, when we, you know, if we had a backache, it was all that was the extra strength Tylenol. You know, now they got all these painkillers, every one of them was addicting. And there's not one painkiller that helps you that's it's not addicting. I don't get it. Why do you have to do all that? You know? And as of now, they just haven't found something that's not addictive that works as much as a narcotic. I don't think it works for this shit anyway. Really? I mean, think about it. They say that if you're on them, your pain hurts 10 times more because your receptors in your brain, it's firing 10 times and making you think it's 10 times worse than this. Because when I quit on my own, you know, I thought that I broke my back because I owned a tree service. So I just kept working. And it, you know, the first three days it hurt so bad. I thought I just kept on working and broke my back or something. But, you know, two months later, I don't even, my back don't hurt to this day. Not one bit. So I don't know. I think it was, I think they do that to you to get you to, more addicted to them or something. I don't know. So what did you do when you realized you had a drug problem? Went to rehab. Went to rehab. Down to Florida. How, you know. how was that? Awesome. Florida, I, I highly recommend it if anybody wants to go to rehab and get, get into a good program. I mean, there's a couple of them down there my that my buddies are working at. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a great program. Everybody's down there for the same reasons. Everybody's really serious about getting sober. And it's very, very, you know, it makes it easy. You know, it makes it a lot easier when everybody's there for the right reasons rather than a couple strays off in the bathroom doing lines or something like that. You know, they snuck some stuff into treatment. It's like, what are you here for? If you're not going to, you're not, you're going to be here to do drugs, just go home. Don't get all of us wrapped up in your bullshit. But yeah, so I went to, I did a, 30 I think it was 32 days and I, I graduated came home and I made it eight and a half months I think it was closer to nine but eight I would say eight and a half months and uh I just got a huge job offer up in Rochester Minnesota with an insurance bank company and they own like three bank two different branches of banks and insurance supplemental and regular insurance all kinds of stuff so they're loaded you know I went in there for the interview that morning and I went to Rochester. We sat at, um, I don't know, this was Perkins, but it's something else now and a breakfast. And, you know, they, all these CEOs interviewed me of this heritage mutual insurance company. So I had all these CEOs just firing at me and I just rocked it for some reason, everything just fell, you know, just, I mean, I had the job, but I had the tree service, you know, and I was used to making a hundred grand a year and I needed that money just to maintain my, what I had bought, you know, so I said, I can't take the job unless I have some salary. So they're going to give me 50 grand in, in salary plus commission. And when my commission overrid my salary, they would take the salary away. So I had to just made. And I got in the car on the way home. And I just was all jacked up about it, you know. And my cousin called me and said that her heater didn't work. And it was like 20 degrees out. So it's colder in hell. So I drove from Rochester all the way to Waterloo, which is two hours. I got into her house. I flipped this little the inside flap, exactly what I told her to do. And she said she did, and it didn't work. When heater kicked right on, well, she handed me a bong, same time. Oh, uh, yep. So I took the torch and lit it, and it took a huge hit. I remember it going down my throat, 
and I tasted it and I was like, wow, this is not what I expected at all. I mean, I know the taste of methods. I was doing it for how many years before this? It wasn't. And I got a sharp pain in the back of my head. Like somebody stabbed me with a knife and then started cutting up the back of my head. And I, I couldn't even see the pressure was so much in my head, you know, from from doing the drug or whatever. And then I, uh, um, I was there for, I don't know, she had to go to work that night. She worked night shift. And I had this headache, and I said, well, I'll just go home, and if my headache's gone, I'll lock up your house, no, no worries about anything. And so it was fine. Well, she come back after a 14-hour shift. I was, at this point, I've been laying there for 27 hours, stroked out. I had a hemorrhagic stroke, and that means I blew a blood vessel in my brain. So I blew it out, so it was bleeding internally. I had blood coming out of my ears, my eyes, everything. And I was coagulating blood because my stomach was full. So, yeah, I laid there for 27 hours, stroked out for my kid having to find me, which is a miracle. I gave him my Apple ID for some reason and password the night before. I don't know why I did, but he pinged my phone and found me and came and got me, took me to the hospital. And more Lou, then they flew me to Iowa City and I had a massive stroke. So, yeah, that's what you get for relapsing just once. Yeah. What was it that you smoked? It was supposedly meth, but it wasn't. There's some weird odd odd pill in there. I don't know what it was. And um, there's methamphetamine, amphetamine, and yeah, it was just meth. It's just you know, I was nine months clean. My body was like, no, I don't want that anymore. So, you know, it, my blood pressure just rock skyrocketed. You know, and plus, you know, I drink pre workouts before I go cut trees down because I was up in the bucket all day cutting trees. You know, I got a good workout in every day. But yeah, that was a hard thing to wake up to in Iowa City with, I had a, I mean, this nurse and she was, I'm not even joking. She was this far from my head, my nose when I woke up and she's like, do you know where you're at? And I said, heaven. And she's like, no, <laughs> you're in Iowa City. You had a stroke. And I said, how bad? And she's like, can you feel your left side? And I'm like, yeah, I can feel it. She goes, well, move your left arm. And I went to my arm and nothing. I went to my leg and nothing. My face was all drooped out. You know, it's all it really released all the muscles. So I was, my cheek was all drooped, and it was, it was honestly, it was, it was horrific. It's terrible. Wake up to one, you know, everybody always hear when we have. Oh, this is my fifth time in rehab, or my seventh time in rehab, and no, I relapsed one time. I took one big. It was a big hit, but off a bomb, and that's what relapsed me, and that's what stroked me out. It's just because my body was so used to not being high, and it was it liked it that way, you know. And, and you throw that chemical in your body, and it reacts that fast, you know. Your blood pressure is going to spike, you know. And I hadn't done it for a long time, so I wasn't immune to any of it. And I didn't feel like I mean, it didn't seem to me at all. I wasn't high at all. I just my head hurt bad. It was it was something that I'll never forget. Somewhere in the mix of it. I don't know if it was when I was in the hospital or when they were doing brain surgery or what, because they had to, they took out my skull plate. This whole plate, my skull it was gone. They had it stitched up because I had to relieve this the pressure in my head. It was so much in there that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't. There's so much pressure, so I was in a coma for ten days, medical, and then they woke me up. I realized what I had happened, and mom and dad found me a really good rehab facility in in Ankeny, Iowa, on the flight and. Three days later, I was walking again. Or, I mean, not walking, but they had me up in a, on a cane. 
And then, yeah, three years of straight physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy, and I'm here. Which was a lot. I mean, that's three years is a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. Hopefully, hope you're going to get something back, you know. And the strokes are different for everybody. That's why they don't know anything about them. But, you know, you can just wake up and your arm will work. There's people that have been having it not work for six, eight months, and then all of a sudden wake up one morning and everything's fired and it works fine. Yeah, I'm not, so, I'm not so lucky. I worked out three times a day for three years, and it didn't come back. So, harsh reality on that. So, as of right now, how long have you been sober? Um, Since October 9th, 2019. Okay, so a good amount well, of time. I mean, they gave me and stuff when I was in there, but that was just for my headaches. I guess if you want to be completely clean, I guess it's been since... I left there because I didn't take another oxy. I haven't, still haven't to this day. Well, I don't think you, I, I don't consider you slipping if you use it as prescribed. Like if you really need it and the doctor gives it to you, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's when you, it's when you decide that it's okay on your own without a doctor's opinion. That's a problem. Yeah. That's my opinion. And I had a relapse in the middle of that too, where I just had a bunch of relationship issues that I was, dealing with and I just decided to escape for the day and yeah so I did some and told my family I thought they were going to kill me which they probably should have but thank god nothing happened or I didn't have another stroke but it just ain't worth it anyway you know the drugs these days I don't know I feel bad for kids if they're going to try them because you don't even know what you're getting anymore you know you could die with very easily there's fentanyl and everything stupid yeah so I mean then that's when I, you know, that was the last day I ever did any, any of that. And then just, I've just been in stroke, you know, and, and PT and OT and speech therapy for since 2019, October 19th, October 9th. So, yeah. I broke up with the person that I was with when I had my stroke and then started dating another girl. And we had that, we had Briella, that little girl that you just seen since then so i don't know it's it's getting better i guess there's days that suck bad and i have to just swallow and deal with it because you know it's, it's a decision that i made personally you know and i and i know that with all the addict talk and all that crap but it was consciously my decision you know i i knew and i didn't even think about saying yes or no i just grabbed it and did it you know i grabbed the bong and fired up the torch and hit it it was just reaction almost. It was crazy. But yeah. It sucks. It can happen to anybody. You know, I just I didn't get the lucky chance to go and, you know, relapse five or six times to go to treatment again. I didn't do that. I had one shot and I you know, and my Toro cards were read down in Florida by a guy that was in the rehab and he said that if you pick up again you're gonna die. I mean I had I read him had him read three times and every time said the same thing. If you pick it up, you're gonna die. Then I picked up and ended up in Iowa City with a stroke, so it was pretty close. I remember when I was either in the hospital or I don't know, I was after I had stroke. I think I was in the hospital, and I remember walking to a, a garage, like a garage door, but it was so bright in this garage you couldn't see nothing. All you could do is you could smell really, really good food, which I love really good food, and. Um, People were laughing, like having a good time. And that was obviously what I was attracted to was people at partying or having a good time. And I was heading right to that door. And right before I uh, 
before I got to the door where I could see anything, I heard somebody yell my name and I turned around and it was my, um, my dad and both my boys were standing there and I just turned around and walked back. I don't, I'm not sure what it was, but that light was so bright and I, I still like when I go outside if I don't have sunglasses on I can't see. It's just it blinds me for some reason. But yeah. So let me ask you this: What do you do to stay sober? What what helps you in your daily life? Routine and stay busy. You know, I have an acre. I have about twenty-seven acres and. My older farmhouse, which I remodeled most of it. I mean, and it's upkeep on that is just enough to keep one guy busy all the time that doesn't have only one arm. So you know, I'm I'm constantly on the go. You gotta gotta keep going or keep busy in that way. I don't outside out of mind. It works for me, I guess. Yeah, I've said it before on the podcast. The uh, good old fashioned saying, "An idle mind is the devil's playground." So it's definitely good to keep busy. Yeah. So again, towards the end here, let me ask you this. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening? You know, it's not what it used to be. I mean, you might have heard your family or parents talking about doing drugs in high school or whatever, but it's not like that anymore. One one shot, one one time relapse, and you could be your last time walking. I mean, that's something to think about. You know, I thought I was the only one that had a stroke when, you know, when I relapsed, but there was people that were actually down at the place I was at that got a drunk driving accident or was, was doing, you know, fentanyl and end up, you know, same place I was. And you just can't do it. You can't. I mean, make a wise, conscious decision not to do it because you're going to want it after that if you do it. So don't do it anyway. Maybe not anymore because it's all junk and cut with whatever, but just, you know, stay strong. I mean, I talked to a school down in Iowa City, um, it was probably last year, and they had a bunch of people that were having OD in, in their bathroom in the school, like actually in the bathroom dying, seven of them. And I was talking to people that were coming in on the flight that just had a stroke or were just fresh into it, fresh into rehab, and, uh, you know, just talking to them about how I did it, and it gets better, you know, trying to basically just give them positive advice. And then this mom asked me if I would talk at the school. So I walked in just blindfolded, never done anything like this, never talked to anybody ever in my life about it. You know, I've never done even told my story out loud, I don't think. And, yeah, I ended up talking. There's 356 kids that were supposed to attend this meeting. And I made them all stand up, and I told if you've ever tried anything, if you took a sip of alcohol, took a cigarette, you took anything that was illegal for you at the time, sit down. And there was one kid. That stood up. That was standing at the end of this. Three hundred and some odd people sat down, and the one kid, one kid was the one standing up. So I made a point to bring him out and say, if you see this guy anywhere in the town, you make sure you give him a high five because you don't know how hard that is, you know, to not do anything at all. But yeah, so that was kind of humbling. Uh, but I have a, you know, my stroke recovery 
my girlfriend at the time videotaped all my recovery steps. Like when I started to walk again, when I started to move my arm and started to talk and so she had it all documented. So I, I you know it's like 17 minutes long and I played this before I'm going to talk to the school thinking that they'll give me a, a way in. Well, I get done with this video and everybody in the whole school is crying. The staff is crying. I'm crying. You know, I'm like, I don't even know. And the energy was dead. I could not, I couldn't, I, would, I thought I was just going to turn around and walk away. I was going to walk out because I couldn't do it. And for some reason I, I had my mic on my head waiting to talk and I said that, and I got PTSD and everybody in the whole place just started laughing. Got all my energy back and I talked for an hour about my story and don't remember a lot of it, but I guess it was good. It's good that you're getting back and doing stuff like that. Yeah. It was, it was just kind of nice to be able to have that many kids all listen, you know, listen. They were, and it, it wasn't like they were talking or fucking around because all the people that have been relaxed or, you know, been going in the bathroom, they have to listen. And, you know, I, hopefully, if you, like I said, if you can help one person out of the 356, I'll be happy. You know, just stop from doing it. It's the first time is the one you don't want to do. Yeah. All right, so I think that's a good place to end. Let me ask you, uh, how you feeling? Did you enjoy doing the podcast today? Yeah, yeah, that was it's nice, and I'm glad you're doing that. And I, boy, I thought about a lot, of, thought about actually doing the same thing you were doing. It's just interviewing people and letting them tell their story and kind of, I know that was good. I liked it. You know, yeah, this helps you. that it helps you just as much as it helps me. I mean, that's the way I am. Oh yeah, I, this I, stuff <laughs> definitely helps me. It keeps me sober. Yep, it does. That's for sure. All right, my friend, do me a favor, sit tight. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and Tumblr. I also suggest checking out our website, www.addicts anonymous.com. There is plenty of free resources and free literature at the, on the site. So that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed. And until next time. Thank you.